March 5, 2006, in your home, at work, and around the world, broadcasting Without Borders, this is Eye on the Future Radio with Hepzibah. For upcoming guests, visit Eye on the Future's website at www.ionthefutureradio.com. The topic for tonight's show, Royal Bloodlines, the Jesuits, Simiramis, reviewing the Masonic Order degrees, of who does what at what level, and where governments fit into the picture, plus much, much more. With Hepzibah's very special guest tonight, Alan Watt, researcher and author. Alan's website is www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Hey, Alan. Hello, how are you? Hey, it's so good to have you. You know, I wanted to... I wanted to uh, I throw this out at you and at the people who are listening out there. You know, many people believe that uh, it was a black hole that happened on June the 30th, 1908. And, uh, of course, it was very frightful for the, t- the town of Tungus, the Tungus area in central uh, Siberia. So, okay, fine. People say, well, that's old hash, and who cares about it? That You know, that was nothing. They saw this fireball traveling through the sky, and you know, it was really nothing. But then, in 1993, in Australia, and did you know that they had bought the Aum cult members, the monks, from the KGB who had moved into Australia, that these things took place. And then, of course, we know that you know something uh, not too long ago also in North America. Let's let's look at that first before we go and unwrap, you know, uh, this we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Alan, and you're the one. Okay. Well, I know there's a warning that happened uh, in Russia or Siberia. Um, there were eyewitnesses there at the time who claimed that uh, they saw something, a fireball or, or a rocket, I guess, even if it could be going over uh, this area, but it exploded in such a way that you normally see uh, an A-bomb going off where it flattens everything in a, in a complete circle uh, rather than a spread uh, from a, a point, such as something traveling from one point to another, you, you would get a cone-shaped explosion if that was the case. This thing had to have stopped or else came directly down and, and exploded because the trees were literally flattened in an outer circle going out for, for miles. Well, there were people uh, there, Alan, who, who uh, recounted that what took place. And uh, the man said it was so huge that uh, literally scorched the clothes off of his body. That's right. And, uh, and they were saying that uh, this, this gentleman, it was his grandfather, and he said, you know that the, the whole area there was radioactive. Well, Alan, it couldn't be a meteor. It wouldn't be a meteor that was radioactive. And this thing that took place in Australia in 1993 wasn't a meteor either because it wasn't once, but it was more than once that this was seen. So actually where you are, where I am, where all our listeners are, at any time they could fire something off like this 
because they want to diminish the world population, don't they? Oh, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, I know that about three years ago, uh, another odd phenomena happened when, uh, and it's all over the news at the time, uh, something uh, caused uh, explosions in the air high up, that uh, very loud explosions with vibrations which set off uh, car alarms uh, all the way from parts of B.C. down into the United States. And uh, immediately the next day they had all the experts on telling us, well, it must have been a meteor and all this kind of stuff. But uh, we haven't had uh, meteors like this. People saw these explosions in the sky. They didn't see anything leading to them like a trail of anything. And then funnily enough, a week later, the same thing happened uh, in part, a part of Australia uh, where the exact same phenomena happened and car alarms were set off and, and burglar alarms with the vibrations of this thing. And what they've been doing is using uh, the, the Tesla-type technology to superheat the atmosphere and cause massive explosions in the atmosphere itself. And that was one of the reasons that Nikola Tesla stopped uh, using this technology, which he'd made back in the early 1900s. I don't think, to be honest, that he created it. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he got this information from elsewhere, well, uh, from, from an older civilization. Uh-huh. Wouldn't you? Yes, not only that, but also when we look at it, we have, uh, of course, the Aum cult, which is part of the Black Hand, and uh, as we as we are going to step sort of into their uh, thing, we also have the uh, Awu monks, and the Awu monks they owned all that land there where this thing apparently came from, you know, in of Western Australia, and of the many residents in Western Australia, as they saw this very large fireball traveling in a northeastern direction passed overhead and culminated over the horizon in a very great, big, huge, brilliant flash that was a bluish-white light. So a meteor wouldn't create a bluish-white light. And then, of course, instantly there was the earthquake that measured 3.9 on the Richter scale. So when we when we look at these anomalous, would we call them anomalous? <laughs> when you already know that this, of course, with your lovely brain, that this is Tesla technology, or maybe, you know, somebody else said, well, maybe we should ask Alan about scalar technology. But not only that, we need to come to a place where the people of the planet need to come to this state and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, we don't need any more this uh, con- population control and all this other garbage. And, uh, you know, something also I told to somebody today, I said, if you ever see a white Mercedes Benz with gold-plated grill and handled at a certain time of a month during the year, this is one of these Masonic uh, uh, um, vehicles that go around and it picks up the victims and it takes them to these glamorous dinners and parties where everything is drugged and then, of course, there's the ritual, right? Yeah, they, they, they do have these, these high rituals in the, the Masonic groups. In fact, there was a, there was a, a U.S. Uh, Congress senator, I think it was, 
who was asked to investigate some young guy's uh, allegations of being uh, taken from an orphanage and brought in as a male prostitute to the Bohemian Grove, where all the big boys go and their fancy dresses. And uh, while he was there, he said that the two of his members of the same orphanage were killed in a ritual, and this particular senator admitted that he was he was sent in as, a, as basically to can it all down and poo-poo it until he, he found out it was all true. And he did put a book out on that, in fact. So this stuff does go on with, with the very high Masonic groups. The guys at the bottom don't know. Well, of uh, course not, but let, let us take a look at this. Uh -huh. And, and I was going to say to you, let us look at the very royal, <laughs> not so royal bloodlines. And when uh, there was another person that asked a question, and I said to them, I said, well, I said, you have to uh, realize that uh, in the last eight to 10,000 years, this uh, planet was set into a partial polar shift and that all these were sound and safe in northern India in the Caucasian mountains. And then they came back down for in northern India from the Caucasian mountains and uh, off they went again to control and strip the planet and uh, enslave the people. But this time they might be not as lucky because you are willing and we have the people that are willing to hear, to listen, and maybe they have the wisdom to listen to us and to wrap it up. But we know that most of these existent royal bloodlines that we have out there are all descendants of Sem Semiramis. Isn't that right? They all claim that, yeah. They claim that, yeah. But it might not be necessarily all true, but... At this very, very, very time in history, we see all these royals running out and they're all marrying so-called commoners. Yes. Yeah, well, this is it. They're, they're, they're showing their, their, their right to rule the whole planet. Uh, not only rule it, but own it, basically, through the corporations that they've established that work for them, international corporations. This is what Professor Carroll quickly said. Um, he was from Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he was an advisor to the Pentagon and, 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 and the Diplomatic Corps and all this. And he, he also chose people for Rhodes Scholarships for world government. He sent Bill Clinton over to Oxford. Well, he said that, 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 that the system that they were creating, and he was the historian, the official historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. And he said in his own book, um, uh, Tragedy and Hope, uh, that... Uh, uh, that the system they were setting up uh, was to be a new type of feudal system mm -hmm. uh, where, where the, you'll have the, uh, the lords, the elite, with corporations fronting for them, uh, running the, the natural resources and the life on the planet. Yeah. And that's what we see happening right today. Yeah, you know, when you took a look at what was happening uh, in the last uh, week, week and a half, when uh, W went to uh, India and you went to take a look in Pakistan and it was really quite frightening to see because it seems as we saw this massive, massive earthquake and the tsunami that happened in India and India surroundings when India didn't want to sign the document with the United States and now Basically, they're crawling in the mud, aren't they? 
That's what it did. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Before that, in fact, we, we had, uh, uh, on a Christmas, the one before the tsunami, we had uh, an earthquake in Iran. Uh-huh. But they weren't towing the line. And uh, it hit them in a place where appropriately called BAM, B-A-M. Uh-huh. It's uh, chosen for that name, no doubt. And uh, so the same thing happened there. And then in Kashmir, which is really between India and Pakistan, uh, Kashmir have tried to hold on to their independence uh, between those two co- uh, countries. Uh, and um, the, they were very independent. They didn't want the, the, the religions there dominating them. And they did not join the, the, the World Bank or the United Nations. And that's what hit them was the earthquake uh, on the eve of a, of a military um, exercise involving the U.S. and India and a joint uh, uh, pretense of an attack from uh, Pakistan on the borders of Kashmir. Uh, the next day, of course, um, the earthquake hit them. Now the World Bank went in because they're destitute. The United Nations got in right away, and that's how they're making people come under. They're, they're forcing them using high technology uh, to force them, uh, using this weaponry, to force them into the same world system. So they all come, of course, to be the slaves of Simiramis, and uh, of course, uh, when when we look at this, and we look the well-spread uh, Jesuits, high hierarchies of Jesuits in countries, and where it is so easy when there are so many of them there, and people are so unhappy that. Uh, uh, have been elected by the people, then we suddenly see some something that is so ugly and orchestrated, the so-called unhappiness coming from the people, you know, spreading the stuff and, and setting people up against people, because this time we are, are, are seeing that they are using religions versus religions, and we are seeing that they are using race, creed, and color, and of the and, and the scary thing is, is what they are doing to all the people that live in Af- in Africa. I know. Well, Africa, even in the 1700s, uh, was slated for extinction by the economists who worked for the British East India Company. Um, they had other companies, too. And those companies were established in the 1500s, in the days of Francis Bacon and Queen Elizabeth I. In fact, Yale, or Yale, that set up Yale University in America, um, but they were, their ancestors were one of the founding families of the British East India Company. And in the 1700s, they hired uh, John Stuart Mills, the economist, to map out those peoples who would be useful in the next system they were creating, and those that would have to be exterminated because they could not adapt to this new economic system where everyone could only exist to serve the economic system. And John Stuart Mill said that the, the black man uh, and the red man would have to be extinguished. Because mm-hmm. They knew at that time that uh, they could not adapt to the, to the 85 uh, work week type of thing. Uh, so they had their list drawn up long before Adolf Hitler came along, you know, uh, because it's really all one and the same group behind all of this. Uh, and they even had the Irish slated down too one time because they wouldn't knuckle under and become part of the British Empire. 
so, things that's on the maps, as they call them. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, uh, there's nothing more more racist that, than that what came from the Caucasian mountains to rule the planet. But uh, we also we also need to take a look because somebody said, well, how did this all begin? I said, well, you have to go Simaramas who became Mitra. And then from Mitra, we are going to have the Piso family. And then from there, we have, of course, the Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. And then we have Masonry. And people do not understand that the Mormon Church is as Masonic as it comes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, no hiding that fact, really, in recent years. They can't hide it because... In Mormonism, you have another sect above uh, the usual congregation called the, the, uh, the elect. And when a man is chosen, only men that get chosen to go into the elect, uh, they go through the exact same Masonic ritual with the apron and the, the signs, the symbols, the statements, and so the oaths, etc. It's purely Masonic. And, of course, uh, Old Smith was uh, a Mason himself. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so they were all part of it. And, and what they really were part of is an interesting thing in masonry. Um, and it's part of the, the philosophy of the elite, actually, uh, and part of the religion. Um, they put it out in different formats for the public to, to study. You'll, you'll find it in the Rosicrucian manifestos, for instance, where they, they try and get the members to, to, to marry someone that's chosen for them by the Grand Master. And it's a woman generally who's maybe third, fourth generation Eastern star. And she's, in other words, she's bred for the purpose because they do believe in breeding, good breeding and bad breeding. And if you're a commoner and you've chosen your wife out of, out of the masses, then you, you're a commoner. But if you have your wife selected for you, for her intellect, for her family's wealth and income, etc., then, then uh, you can go higher. That the, the offspring of the two, a Mason and the Eastern Star, can go higher up the degrees than, than a first-generation Mason. So they're all taught this in the higher levels, you see. Um, they truly believe that they must breed out uh, the, the, the refuse, as they call the people at the bottom, and, and get the better genes in there. And this is shown as well in a movie, in a book called uh, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, where there's an elite who are becoming impotent or sterile, and they, they, they basically use various women to have their offspring by um, to keep the genetic strains going. Um, they actually do this kind of thing. Uh, they believe in evolution. Um, in the movie Arthur C. Clarke's 2001, and Arthur C. Clarke was a very high mason, um, and he wrote that in the 60s. At the beginning of the movie, they show you the belief system of evolution um, with eight men. And they show you a, a, a symbols of a, a, a bow that looks like a serpent. And they show you a pig walking through. And then they show you a, a mountain with, this, with the moon or the sun rising over the top. And, of course, that's, you, you'll notice the mountain's actually a pyramid, an uncapped pyramid. Uh-huh. So they believe in evolution, but a special type of, of evolution. They're talking about selective breeding yeah. or for, for special uh, types, mm-hmm. or a, a higher breed than, than the commoner. And they're terribly snobbish about this. And there have been priesthoods down through the ages who keep the genealogies for all these peoples. Today, the Mormon church 
science, uh, we have uh, the largest genealogy department in the planet right now. And, yeah. uh, and they keep those names and, and so on in their, in their offices inside a mountain with, uh, I think it's uh, six or, or what, there's one foot thick steel doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at this I, very moment, uh, these very high masons, did you know, these, uh, these Mormons are moving out of Utah? People are seeing this very large Safeway, uh, huge Safeway uh, uh, trucks pulling up. Well, of course, we all know that Safeway is Mormon. It used to belong to the Jesuits, to the nuns. But uh, since 1984, it, used, it, it, it passed hands into the hands of the Mormons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Deseret Farms. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I know lots of the, the wealthy now are buying... Uh, places in the mountains across the country, across the world, and uh, old ski resorts and so on, and um, they're, they're, they're stocking up provisions for something that's to come. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, uh, I hope uh, that, that uh, the public uh, is aware that Oprah Winfrey also built here uh, a $5.5 million house in the British properties, high up in the properties. Yeah, well, Oprah, of course, is Harpo backwards. Yeah. And, and Harpo is, is an abbreviated term for Hippocrates. Hippocrates is the, is the, um, the Greek uh, name uh, for, for, for basically the god of secrecy, uh, the Egyptian god of secrecy. Uh, Uh-oh. So, so she's well up there in her, her, her lineage for all her nonsense about her poor upbringing. She, she's not just an ordinary uh, commoner, as they say, you know. No, of course not, and, and, and that is well, is well visible in the behavior and with who she hangs out with and the money that uh, went into her uh, uh, organization, her talk show or whatever you want to call it, ha, 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 political tool, was all from the Schreibers and of Schwarzenegger. Yeah, big connection there, but most people don't understand. So t- let, let's take a look at it. The royal bloodlines. Mm-hmm. How Masonic are these royal bloodlines? We know, of course, that in the Netherlands, the Queen of the Netherlands, well, I knew her father maybe all too well. <laughs> Prince Bernard, I knew him very well. And uh, also his shenanigans with all the girls. And uh, they are Protestant. Now, we have the royal bloodline of England, and of course, they are Anglican. Then we had the royal bloodline of the Romanovs. And were you aware that not all these Romanovs died there? That some of these Romanovs died in England, in London, England, of old age? Of course, good good Masonic underground, shall we say? Oh yeah, in fact, the British had a, a ship uh, that went in to take them out, um, unknown to the general public. So they were, yeah, they, they they did get some of them out. Uh-huh. Mhm. So that is the, those are the bloodlines. Now we know, of course, in the British royal house is a great chunk of the control of the Masonic control, and then also a great chunk is in Japan, the Emperor of Japan. Oh, yeah. 
I've got an old photograph, in fact, uh, from an old book where the, the British, some, some members of the British royalty were dressed up in their naval outfits and they're initiating Hirohito into the order of the garter before World War II. I have the, the photographs of that. Lucky you, boy. Yeah. You must have a box of treasures, you. If not your brain, your box of treasures. Well, let's, let's hope that uh, we have people out there in the world that are going to say, hey, hey, we need to get whatever Alan has brought out there. And ladies and gentlemen, let us do this because we can go there like Tootsie Roll. And uh, I guess Alan Watts, he is a researcher and author. He has a website. Have you pen and pencil ready? If you are listening and you are not in the uh, auditorium, then write it down. And it shall not be too fast, of course. And it is spelled A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T. What? Alan Watt, researcher and author. And we have then the website www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I will give you that again in case I said it too fast for you and you were looking for your piece of paper and your little pencil. And sometimes burnt off wet matches, I learned, does too, some guy told me. So, www.cutting, you know, cutting, through the matrix.com. Here are the books. So, have your little pencil ready and, and your brain in gear. He has three books. Cutting through the androgynous hermaphroditic agenda. Cutting through, that's number one, the androgynous hermaphroditic agenda. Number two, cutting through to a glimpse into the great work. Cutting through three esoteric unveiled and the meaning of revelations in the high Masonic tradition. Okay, each is payable in international postal money order, which is available at your post office for twenty five dollars. You can contact Alan at Alan Watt, and that is A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T, site, box 41, okay, that's site 41, box 4, Esther, Ontario, Canada, P. 3 E 4 N 1 G 
you get that? I hope you got that because I'm doing my best for you. And that is Esther, E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada, P-3-E-4-N-1. Or you can contact through webmaster at Alan Watt, cutting through at yahoo.com. There you are. So I want you to make sure you had your little pen, your little piece of paper. Don't write it on your mother's tablecloth because she might get mad. And maybe if you did, maybe she gets the hint too. So, Alan, here we are. Yes, the royal bloodlines, the connection with the Jesuits, and of course, Simoramus is the cradle, isn't it? Well, maybe not the cradle, maybe the visible beginning. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that, that um, humankind is much older than they'd like to have us believe, because uh, Sumer, and now they found uh, the Harappian culture pre existing Sumer. Uh, 6,000 B.C. and beyond. And um, we know that they, they lived in a, at a very high level of, of uh, standard of living uh, and had trade routes there. They had the underwater, under, underground piping of water for their showers and this kind of thing. So man is far, far older uh, than they'd like us to believe. <clears throat> they used Nimrod and some Iremus because Nimrod is, an, is allegorically at least a symbol of, of the building of a city, the builder of a city. The city being the first artificial uh, creation to contain people, really. Train mm-hmm. them. Um, it, it's the only, it's an artificial system because those within a city had to use money. That was the next thing to, to be introduced, or maybe simultaneously introduced as the city and money. And with the money, they could buy the goods they needed to come in to survive, but they could also uh, hire uh, and train an army, a standing army, to go out into the rural countryside and and, uh, conquer uh, the rural peoples and force them to use the same money. And then they used the religion to to brainwash them, basically, to be good, meek, uh, obedient servants. And, And so this is their standard technique all down through the ages. Now, Nimrod... Uh, you'll find this in various uh, stellas and carvings that have unearthed uh, in, in the Middle East. Uh, it's always depicted uh, with the, the airman uh, collar around this uh, cloak that he wears. Uh, airman is a type of mink, but it has uh, it's white with, with black specks on it. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the royal families today, and when the lords get together, the House of Lords, all the nobility... And the queen, they, they still wear these red uh, capes with the airmen collars around them, all the way all the way back to Nimrod. Mm-hmm. And we never question these these oddities. Why on earth would they be wearing stuff that that thousands of years old, a tradition that's thousands years old? And when you see the old um, reruns of the coronation of the queen, uh, look what we are looking at here. It's in Westminster Abbey. And the, the, the floor is a checkerboard floor. Yeah. And, and uh, they have the queen sitting on a raised 
um, ziggurat-type pyramid, um, and, and she's, she sits on her throne, and the people are all spaced around her, these, these people with their various uh, religious emblems, are in specific spots, according to tradition, that goes back many, many thousands of years. And you'll see the same emblems carved in, in depictions in the Middle East of, of the crowning of kings there. Mm-hmm. And we never question why this unbroken tradition all the way into England, the, and really it was brought into England with the Normans. The Normans were, this, were actually the, the, the same bunch coming back in again. And uh, the Norman invasion, not just of England, but the whole of Europe, uh, was on a scale bigger than World War Two. It was financed over many, many years. Uh, it cost, I'm not cost in today's terms, billions of, of pounds and dollars uh, to, to, for logistics, just for supplying the navies and all of the armies in the fields. Um, for many, many years, they even built prefabricated forts uh, on the beaches in Normandy, and um, they assembled them, one, and they towed them over, uh, these wooden forts, and uh, assembled them in the British site. Massive undertaking, heavily financed, and these Normans brought in with them all of the same family crests and em- emblems that you'll find uh, going all back to, to ancient Nimrod. They still have them today. But, and all these symbols of, of, the, of their crests are generally of predators, mm-hmm. lions, eagles, hawks, and that type of thing, because they, they say themselves, and, and this is verified in the writings of um, the Pope of Freemasonry of the 1800s, Albert Pike. Yeah. Uh, nature of beasts and wild beasts and so on. So he's telling you that they're proud to be top predators, and that's the natural order of things. They prey on the weak, and they say that's the natural way of things. So behind the cloak of charity at the bottom of Freemasonry, um, you have this very ugly monster, this, this incredible predatory bird, uh, that, that's um, running the show, and it, it's breeding us for its victims, basically. But it's very, very peculiar when you say this, because the First Nations also have as a symbol the eagle. Yeah. Matter of fact. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Because, no, but, but matter of fact, by First Nations as their peace speaker, I'm Thunderbird Woman. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too, with even, uh, you see, every culture has been infiltrated long ago. And when, when, uh, when Britain was taking over Canada from the French, um, and, and taking the Americas, a good part of the Americas were also occupied by French forces, um, they recruited some of the Indian chiefs of that time. And Willie Bryant uh, was the top of, of the, uh, yeah, I think it was the Five Nations, time, and uh, they, they took him to England and gave him high noble uh, initiation into the orders, they even gave him a wife too, sent him back to Canada, and in typical Masonic tradition, he split them up, the, the tribes up, and told half of them to fight on the side of Americans who were going to fight for independence, and half would fight on the British side, and his son Norton took over from him as the head of the nation's. And that's why so many of these emblems actually came into being. Uh, they were actually actually masons at the top running the show. Some of the some of, 
some of the Indian tribes in Canada are beginning at, at last to catch on to the fact that a lot of their chiefs are actually Masons, and that's why all this money that's allocated to them never yep. reaches the people. Ne it never reaches the people. We know that because uh, the money goes to the reserve and uh, the the uh, the chief and the chief's family they live in in well in great abundance yes. while we look at the people at the reserve itself and i used to uh, uh, have uh, a wonderful relationship with general foods when they were still there and they would give me a boxcar or two boxcars a week with uh, food that I then would take to the reserves and distribute amongst the very, very poor and, and uh, heartbreak people. And then uh, uh, one day, one of the uh, uh, sons of chief, he said, uh, uh, we should go into town and um, we'll talk to you in town, not here. So we went to town. And then he said, you know, he says, I am campaigning with the uh, uh, Indian Affairs to uh, make out checks to the people. I said, oh. And he said, yeah. He said, because they don't like me very much. He said, but most of the people never see the money. So it went then that the checks came. And the checks were then distributed to the people and of course, some of the elderly people who couldn't, they didn't know about banking, and they didn't know what they were doing, they would sign these checks over to the chiefs. Yes. And they still lived in poverty. Yes. You know, so when when we look back at those times, and and the uh, the medicine man shaman in 1981 who uh, who named me with other Thunderbird woman and then in uh, you know, four years ago I was named the official peace speaker for First Nations and I found it very peculiar because we have done a lot of speaking up for them and, and whatever but when it comes down to the nitty gritty although my uh, custodial mother's ancestry, they were of the very ancient uh, Mi'kmaq tribe. And, um, of course, it wasn't appreciated because I came back here from Europe. And uh, the, first, uh, the first interaction I had with First Nations with, was with Chief Dan George. Oh, yeah. And it was amazing because the man picked me out of a crowd of people and walked up and put his hand on my shoulder. He says, I shall buy you breakfast. Uh -huh. And he says, come on. So I went and I had breakfast with him. And later, many times, he came and we had lunch. And he started to tell me all kinds of things that were out there. When I look at the whole structure today, and I look around me, and there's no doubt about it, because uh, British Columbia is as Masonic as it comes, because they don't like it cold. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest amazement, yeah. 
Yep. When when you say to people, if you want to know where most of the Masons are residing, go to places where it's warm. That's right. They like it warm. Columbia, Columbia is an interesting uh, name because uh, it, it comes from the Latin, and it actually means dove. Yeah. And of course, yes, you, you'll see it in Egypt, too, where where some fear is being inaugurated, and you'll see the dove coming down above them, and they use that symbol eventually in Christianity uh, for, for the spirit coming down to Jesus. They'll picture it with the same dove, you see. But that's a Masonic uh, uh, thing. So, so Columbia is, is the place of the dove, it's where spirit comes down. And, and, and also, um, it, it's a play also on column. A column is a pillar or an opalisk, you see. So it's got the dual meaning there. And uh, it's, no inter- it's, no, it's no coincidence that the shootings that happened in Columbine School in the United States uh, happened to be in Columbine School because a Columbine is a flower with, 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 with the five, uh, the five leaves. Each one sort of is like a little dove. And, uh, and it's got five points, the five points, the star of masonry, you see. Um, everything that happens in the world is all Masonic, everything. Uh, and even the place names that you see, like British Columbia. And Vancouver is, is van can be sun, you see, yeah. often Dutch. And, of course, your cover, undercover, it's undercover of the sun, is what they're telling you, with, with the clouds, etc. And, of course, they have that arising sun emblem for the logo, um, which is very, very telling in itself. Nova Scotia, we think of on the East Coast as being a new Scotland, but really Scotia is again from a Latin term, an old Latin term, where a Scotia was a secret compartment at the base of a pillar where you put sacred o- objects. Mm-hmm. Often it was a concealed compartment, a secret compartment. Mm-hmm. So everything, all place names throughout America are, 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 are highly occultic meanings for specific functions in fact. Uh, it's quite funny that uh, when, when they change the postal codes to, to abbreviated forms like Ontario you have ONT and, and so that means order of new templars and, and this is exactly where the, the, new, the order of new templars were, were initiated was in Ontario here. So everything's got a, an occultic meaning. Yeah, and we know, of course, in Nova Scotia, when they first landed, they had the place where they did hide their treasures. Oak Island, yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and, and that's still... And one of the friends of the Rockefellers took over that dig, and they dug so deep and found these amazing uh, uh, constructions and booby traps where, where, where they take certain parts of it away that the sea will rush in underneath. So it's well constructed to be concealed, and it has various points around it on the island of stone, especially erected. And of course, they even grew oak trees there as a symbol of their might and power. So it's called Oak Island. And the Templars thought they brought their, te- their treasure over there. And uh, the, I don't know that the Templars were here long before um, uh, Columbus and the Dove came along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You know, but I, I'm still questioning many times what was so important to them to get rid of the Mi'kmaqs and of the Algonquins. What was so important to get rid of them? Because I, those are the. But they, mm-hmm. but these guys knew 
just like the ones in, in South America, Latin America, with their legends, they knew that the Templars and different peoples had been here long before. And uh, they, they had to eradicate history to, to, to tell you that, well, no, nobody knew about America until Columbus came along. They had to wipe out the past. Because as Orwell said, he, he controls the past, controls the, the future, you see. So they had to eradicate the past. And, uh, of course, that's also why the, the, the Spaniards, when they went into, into South America, had to eradicate most of, of the people with knowledge, and they did. Yeah, but you know, when you say this, we know, of course, in Europe from uh, 1100, when the Templars became very visible, that we had then all the intellectuals and women who had power. We had the great herbalists and all these people. They and, and, of course, how many hundreds of thousands of books were burned and writings were burned, and how many of these very educated and wise people were all dragged to the to the pyre and set on fire? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and the, the thing is too, and I don't think Masons really understand this very well, that because it's a structural society with degrees and so on, and every degree is lied to until we get near the top, they start to find out the real functions and the real meanings of their symbols and so on, uh, those that are below a certain level are disposable. And they do dispose of their own when need be. They, they, they have a sacrifice. The few must perish for the sake of the many is one of the sayings from the, the Talmud and the Kabbalah. You know, They even put that in the Star Trek series with Mr. Spock saying it. Oh, Mr. Spock. It's their own. <laughs> Yeah. I used to know him, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, actually, I, actually, his sister was a very lovely lady, and uh, they were uh, as Jewish as Jewish came. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what was interesting too is when you mentioned the, the chief Dan George, because uh, I can remember at the time of the moon landing. Uh, I wondered why the flag we stuck in the moon was fluttering in a breeze. And uh, the next day they brought on different people and they asked them, what do you think of the man landing on the moon? And they asked Chief Dan George that question. And he said, they said, well, he said, I saw a set in Hollywood, enclosed, uh, a huge set. It looked just like the surface of the moon. He said, I don't think they went to the moon. <laughs> that was him. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I think he was right on. A darling man. Yeah, uh-huh. <sighs> We're all conned again, yeah. 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 The, great, the greatest things in history are, are, are massive frauds, you know. <laughs> and and NASA exists for a very different purpose because uh, so did the Cold War, of course. They could fleece the people and the pretense of, of protecting them and tax them to the hill during the Cold War and NASA yeah. really was putting up very advanced satellite systems which would eventually be used to track us all and also uh, high-tech weaponry systems in space. Uh, so so NASA was a big player in all of this this, uh, this whole agenda. Yeah, you know, this, the, the thing that, that uh, amazes me and, and I can't get over it, that we have actually people that are so sick and corrupt 
that they become participants and uh, they aggrandize themselves and they become very, very wealthy. But don't these people understand that there's going to be a moment that they're going to leave this body? I think that's why they get so desperate when they become older. Uh, they do know, and this has been preached openly since the 1500s, uh, when Rosicrucianism emerged into the surface of the world, uh, they've let it be known that if you serve them well, you would be given life extension. And, of course, there's, there's even the promise of um, more than that uh, for the very elite uh, one day. Um, but, but, yeah, you look at the main characters, Rosicrucians, who live in the past, and they, were, they lived well into the 90s and the 100s. They didn't have old-age diseases. Um, the Queen Mother died in her bed at 100, never had an illness in her life. They said she was 102. Maybe 102 then, yeah. Yeah. And, and she never walked more than, you know, 20 feet in her life, I think. <laughs> and, she, and, and she ate whatever she wanted, yeah. <laughs> and she she drank her brandy and her wine, and and uh, and she didn't have a, an illness. So and she, she ate the candies. Yeah. So, so she, you know, she got uh, uh, some kind of life extension, and that's what they were promised at that level, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's very amazing because when you say this, uh, I met uh, Spencer Lewis, his uh, son, yeah. here in North America, and I I met uh, the uh, the uh, uh, what you call it the uh, the Grand Secretary as they called him. But he died very young because he was, was he old, 65, 66. Uh-huh. And he died, you know, but, uh, well, not Spencer Lewis's son, that old grouch. Yeah. You know, but uh, I don't know what they saw in me that they wanted to uh, wheel me in because I was not interested, but uh, they bought me very nice dinners. Yeah, you, you, you'll find, I think, <laughs> what I found is that they're curious as to why your your mind is still active uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that most people are not in this day and age. They're curious as to, as to how come the techniques of mind control uh, have missed you. Oh! <laughs> That's what it is. Maybe it was as my as my custodial father used to say. He says, "I don't think there is a thing on this earth that can ever deal with you." Yeah. He was totally frustrated. But you, but you, of course, yourself, you're not buckling under, are you? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we can't afford to buckle under because there are so many, many beautiful and wonderful people out there. Yeah. Oh, we need to say we love you and come on now, you know, let's let's do what we can do while we can do it to uh, keep you under the empowerment. And, of course, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, were out here today and yesterday, they did a big, big thing on their chemtrails, and it was just this beautiful blue sky was just full of it, and then, of course, it rolled full of clouds. So the clouds may uh, have taken some of that garbage away, but 
they surely laid the chemtrails against that sky. It was like, you know, you, you would want to cry when you see that. But what can you do? So tell me the connection about the, uh, uh, because there is, of course, no doubt, the KGB, the FBI, the CIA, and, and of course, my friends, the Jesuits, of course. Mm-hmm. The, well, really, there has all, to be. Yeah, yeah but the top, they're, they're all one at the top. They're, they're, all, they're, all, they're all different parts of the same bunch, and, and that's the trick. Uh, each, each department is compartmentalized, and so the guys in the lower levels don't know that their bosses are in cahoots with the guys that they appear to oppose. And, and this is a necessary function of, of very high uh, occult masonry, is to get change occurring in the world, you must have conflict, and to get conflict, you must have different sides. And, and it must be real conflict for those who are engaged in the physical stuff at the bottom uh, to, to convince the public. Uh, but the guys at the top are all part of the same the high brotherhood. Uh, it, it, some of them are actually commanded. They're, they're brought in front of the uh, a, a, a grand supreme master, and they, they're commanded and they swear an oath to oppose each other publicly, but to remain brothers on the floor mm-hmm. in the lodge. So, um, so that's how they do. That's why it exists this way. When you when you look at all the different uh, warring factions, the, the important thing is to see where they're all. They would all go if they won, and you'll find they're all going in the same direction if they won, you see. They have the same goals, uh-huh. really. Yeah. yeah, you know, but there is this thing, somebody writes you here, so can we convince the Muslims they are being led by the nose by the Jesuits, but they haven't got a clue, the Muslims, if we were going to tell the Muslims at this moment that they are the very creation mm-hmm. of these very interesting uh, uh, Simiramis uh, followers, eh? yes. and so we are setting it all already up historically that we are going to set up the the Jesuits, the Catholics, the Protestants. You know, when you talk about it, you know, they look at you and their jaws sink. I said, well, you know, you are so hateful to the Catholics, but you say you are Baptist, you say you are Mennonite, you are saying you're Seventh-day Adventist, you are saying, and I said, by my goodness gracious sake, you, Peter, open your head up. Start yeah. thinking. You all come out of the same ruddy pot. And they sat down, and they had these these little rolls 
of uh, a parchment that was written in the a very, very ancient Parsi way. They said it was older yet than their Parsi language, but they could read it and understand it. So they would sit there on my on my kitchen table, and they would read me what was written there, and then they would uh, show little symbols and stuff, and they had a little book from the university, and they say, you see this symbol and that symbol and that symbol? Well, what they are using here is all a lie because it is this, 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 what is written here. And so we came to the realization that when we had Mithra, of course, that absolute monster, we had a Mithra religion at that same time, at that time when Mithra religion was being spread because they came out of the Caucasian mountains and uh, many of them were still hanging out there and were coming down, sort of, they went to Russia and Norway and Denmark and then they came down also and they went into the Middle East. Well, at that time, it was written in this in these thing, and they had the ages, they had the times, and they were petrified that anybody would find out what they had. They had these little copper cylinders where they kept it in, and then they said, well, when the uh, Mithra uh, religion was on the earth, this blood-sucking, monstrous religion that made human sacrifices and animal sacrifices and they built some type of temples and this, that and the other. Also at that time they had Zarathustra and they said to me, it is a lie because the Jesuits and the Masons are doing everything to eradicate the old historical facts of the Zaratustans. I said, well, I know that they burned down the library of Alexandria. We also know that they murdered Hepatia, who was a, and this I got from uh, writings out of the 1600s of a very, very uh, lovely elderly rabbi that he had. And he said, you know, it is actually all this is a lie. He says, this is where it came from. And he hated the Masons like you wouldn't believe. He was a survivor of the concentration camps. And then he said to me, this is where it comes from. He said, of course, he says, Mithra is the Roman Catholic Church. And he says, the Zarathustrans, out of the Zarathustrans came the Hebrews. And I said, well, how can we prove this to the people? Well, we spent a lot of time speaking at the universities, he and I. And then one day he said, well, he said, you know, if you, so long as nobody else finds out. And so he had a basement, like better than most museums. And so there was stuff that we went through. And lo and behold, like about two and a half, three months later, and we still don't know whether the university did it, whether the Masons gave order to do it, or the Jesuits. We don't know who did it. But this man nearly died in his house because his house went up ablaze. Uh -huh. And we lost, of course. He was luckily, he, he was not in the house. That was the lucky thing. But it burned. It was so well done that it burned right into the ground. Mm -hmm. yep. And it was just, it was just.
you know, and he just sat in the car and he cried. You know, he was a broken person. After he said, but at least you know. I said, yes, yeah. I know. But at the same time, we want to put it somehow as a historical fact because Rome tells that the Zaratustrans are not older than four or five thousand years. These people that were sitting there with their very old parchment and copper pasted together scrolls, they showed that where it went, how they hide, did hide out in India, how they did hide out in Kashmir, today Kashmir, and uh, what happened, how they were pursued through Egypt, and how thousands of them already, uh, 7,000 years, were slaughtered. But they said the Hebrews came out of the... Uh, ancient Zarathustran way and then they were hassled around and they lost their original writings and that is what Rabbi Kamar said 